Hey, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. We're going to get uh, some, actually, some technical analysis on a number of different uh, uh, entities here on a very volatile day in the markets. Uh, news came out that Moody's is looking to downgrade, I think I saw 10 different U.S. banks. This is on top of uh, Fitch downgrading U.S. debt from AAA to AA+. Plus. Uh, I got to admit that news item was something that I thought was important, but not wasn't necessarily a huge uh, market mover by any means, but we're seeing something, I guess, I don't know if this is contagion, but it is some follow through here. And so markets are falling, including precious metals with the big boards. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about U.S. debt and bond yields. Welcoming in a new guest from North Star Bad Charts. His name is Kevin Wadsworth. He puts up some incredible TA looks and, and things he's studying in his charts on his Twitter account. Uh, but first, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me on, Trevor. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you too. Uh, you know, I think it, it's important before we kind of get into a few of these things, uh, I'm fascinated how you are a meteorologist by trade, <laughs> but meteorology is a lot like forecasting, which is simply what you tend to do with technical analysis. So you must have found a linkage there. That's exactly the the, uh, the link there, Trevor. Yeah, I've had 34 years as a as a meteorologist, and as you say, forecasting the future uh, for um, customers like, for example, the Royal Air Force and for emergency responders here in the UK. And it was my job to. Uh, basically predict what was going to happen over the next few hours, the next few days, uh, in terms of severe weather, helping to uh, allow the Royal Air Force to complete their, their missions and to uh, allow the emergency response community to, um, to, to um, react during life-critical situations, such as flooding and uh, wildfire events and that kind of thing. So a lot of what I was doing was around risk analysis and weighing up probabilities of you know what might happen in terms of meteorology over the next few days and i did find a link there and i started to wonder if it was possible to predict uh, stocks and shares and gold and silver and all that kind of thing using the same sort of methodology and really it's a case of evidence gathering in a scientific fashion and you gather all of the evidence uh, from a from a technical chart and from trend and momentum and all that kind of thing bring it all together and what you end up with really it's like a weather forecast and it, what it allows you to do is it allows you to weigh up the probabilities of for example, whether gold is going to go up, down or sideways, and it allows you to assign a range of probabilities to those possible future outcomes. And by doing that, you can weight your trades accordingly and uh, and stand a far better chance of succeeding. Well, uh, let's talk about the forecast ahead in in the in the economy here. Uh, what we're seeing uh, with precious metals and also with debt uh, and how does the forecast generally how does the forecast look like for global economies right now kevin based on what you're saying <laughs> yeah well it, you don't need to be a meteorologist or a, a brain surgeon to uh, to realize that the economy has some serious serious issues and i can i can illustrate that with a with a chart for you if you like and i'll just um take a yeah please to, do take a moment to see if i can share the screen so uh, give me a moment to do that uh, make sure I'm sharing the correct screen because I've got three here in front of me. So <laughs> I'll just uh, I'll just do that. 
Okay, so with a little bit of luck there, what you're seeing is the 10-year yield chart, Trevor. Can you see that? Okay, just want to double-check. Uh, yeah, we can see that. And just for just for podcasts and, and listeners of the podcast who maybe not be seeing this, we will put it up on the YouTube channel. But, yeah, we're taking a look at the 10-year yield right now. And it, really, this uh, bond yields have been kind of the center focal point of what could happen, talking about forecasting. Uh, Kevin, I see both bear and bullish cases. I'm yet to make an opinion, but maybe you can <laughs> help. Yeah, form okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something, Trevor. And I started looking at this chart back in around about 2018, 2019. And from a technical an- analysis point of view, it's very, very striking. And it's uh, clearly been one of the most important charts of the last several years, along with the US dollar index and one or two others. But you can see straight away, a couple of things jumped out at me. And one was that throughout the last 40 years, since 1981, the entire move for the US 10-year yield has been controlled and contained by a single line, this red line that's running along the top of the chart here. I'll get rid of the moving averages so you're not distracted by those because they can uh, get in the way a little bit. And I'll also take off the, um, the Ichimoku cloud indicator, which we don't need. So you can see this red line that can, has contained the price action for over 40 years. Now, what happened uh, in 2019 was that we saw a break below what had been the support zone. Now, in 2019, I put out a tweet. And in early 2020, I put out a tweet saying that this was a false breakdown. And from a technical analysis point of view, I made that conclusion for a number of reasons. It's because this is a bullish technical chart pattern that will resolve to the upside. Now, a move and a break to the downside is almost always a false move. And when we got this candle here with a very large wick on the end of it, it made it absolutely clear to me that there was going to be a huge release of energy and that the 10-year yield was not just going to reach the top line again, but break out. I've labelled it the pain line, and you probably noticed that I'm wondering why is he called it the pain line. Well, if you think about it for a moment from a fundamental point of view, what this line, the, this, the reason this red line is in existence is because the 10-year yield cannot reasonably go above it without causing pain. It's because, just think for a second, why, have, why has the 10-year yield fallen, 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 fallen throughout that entire period? And it all comes down to debt. Debt has gone up and up and up and up in a parabolic fashion. And if debt is rising in a parabolic fashion, then the interest repayments on that debt need to be contained. And it was the pain line that was containing it. It was the the pain line was simply a a manifestation of the simple fundamental fact that each time the 10-year yield got to that point, the pain became sufficient and it became obvious enough that the uh, 10-year yield was required to drop interest rates and uh, bond yields were drop, dropping throughout this entire period. As we know, interest rates dropped down to uh, roughly zero at one point, which right. clearly it can't stay down. I, I, you know, everybody was saying the same thing. It can't stay there forever. But I think people generally were thinking, well, you know, OK, so it can't stay down at zero percent or minus one percent for very long. But chances are we're going to stay at one or two percent because you know that's what we're, we've become become accustomed to. That's that's just the world we're living in. Well, the chart said otherwise, and the chart was right. The technical chart was right. We've broken out, and all the pain that you're starting to see in the wider economy now, that's sort of rippling out through all of the markets, is as a direct result of having crossed this threshold. And we're now in a new 
investing era. We are in a completely new paradigm here, and it's more comparable to the 1970s, which is the last time we crossed the pain line and moved up and up and up and up. And anyone that was around in the 1970s will remember that interest rates, mortgages, bond yields all went up in unison. And there's one other thing, of course, that went up in unison, precious metals. Uh, Gold, of course, had its biggest bull run ever between 1970 and 1980. And commodities as well, oil, of course. Um, And Mm -hmm. if commodities, oil, precious metals and rising yields is sort of ringing a bit of a a bell with your audience, then so it should do, because that's the environment we find ourselves in now. Of course, there's a crucial difference, and that's the debt to GDP, because debt to GDP was falling from 70% to 31% during the 1970s. And Hmm. over the last 40 years, debt to GDP has risen from 31% to 129%. Uh, So it's kind of like the 1970s, but with some very important, very subtle, well, not very subtle, actually, very important and very big uh, differences and very big changes. So I'm certainly spending a lot of my time at the moment just wrapping my head around all the interrelationships between bond yields, debt, um, debt to GDP, and also putting all of that in context of um, inflation over the last 40 years, um, because right. you know whether bond yields are outperforming inflation or outperforming gold, is also a very important part of that equation. Yeah, uh, this, what's interesting here is uh, you know the ten-year yield crossed that pain line back in April, um, and, and that was about the same time, if I'm not mistaken, where the uh, the the first kind of banking crisis with the regional banks kind of hit. If I if if I'm thinking back, then that that's when the SVB news kind of hit. Now. We're obviously higher there, but we've also got a downgrade in 10 banks from Moody's as we move higher. I mean, I, I guess I, I, you know, I'm not quite certain here. I, at, at one point, I get the I get the bearish case on bonds based on this chart because you just put this arrow upward and it seems like it. the thrust is upward. However, we don't have necessarily, you know, we have a big Fed intervention clause here, that Fed put that could certainly come into come into play any time do you how do you kind of balance that out i guess what i'm saying here personally kevin is i'm still not i still don't have my my own opinion yet of whether i'm bearish or bullish bonds based (laughs) on what you're saying that's when that's where the charts come in and the charts can clarify that because from a fundamental point of view there's arguments to be had on both sides of the um you know both sides of the argument but when you look at charts like bank of america and i pointed this out several months ago um, and you could pick a number of, um, you know, large banking organizations here. But I'm looking at Bank of America because it's a very clean, clear technical chart. And you can see what happened in, in 2007 from a technical point of view is that the share price for Bank of America in 2007 broke below its support line, broke below key mm-hmm. moving averages. And then it broke down below this green thing that you can see on the chart. It's called the Ichimoku cloud and it, it projects future support and resistance. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that we had a very clear series of technical pieces of evidence, scientific pieces of evidence that took place here that told us that the banking sector was in trouble. Now, fast forward to more recent times. What you'll see is that after that huge drop in during banking crisis 2008, uh, what has happened since then? Well, we formed a, another 
uh, unpleasant pattern from a technical point of view. And this is called a bearish rising wedge. Now, bearish rising wedges get their name because when they eventually resolve, they uh, nearly always resolve to the downside. And I have to say nearly always because it's always the case with technical analysis and predicting the future that we're looking at probabilities, not certainties. So if you ever hear a technical analyst say, this will definitely happen or that will definitely happen, then in my view as a, an experienced forecaster, you should um, not listen to them. Just the same as a, a meteorologist or weather mm -hmm. forecaster saying that you're definitely going to get a thunderstorm hitting your town um, tomorrow. Um, anyone that says that doesn't understand the dynamics of how thunderstorms form in the first place. So it's the same with a technical pattern breakdown. You can look at the evidence and you can say, well, the evidence is pointing to the fact that this pattern is going to resolve to the downside and the probabilities are 70, 80%, 90%, something like that. And if you're using that kind of terminology, then you're doing it scientifically. If you're saying, well, th this is going to happen, this is definitely going to happen, then you're, you're not doing it right and you, you don't understand the science of you know, predicting the future, basically. But what has happened here is this bearish rising wedge has actually broken down now. We've got a confirmed breakdown and we are still above the three-year moving average and we're still just hanging on to the quarterly Ichimoku cloud here, which is this red and green uh, cloud-shaped pattern. But if the price just edges down a little bit further, we'll get more technical evidence that this um, new breakdown is going to develop into something much more serious. So whilst we have got a technical breakdown, and in fact, if we zoom in on the monthly chart, what you can see is happening is a back test. Yeah. These, these are now the monthly candles on this chart. So we've broken down. We've gone down below the monthly Ichimoku cloud, and we've back tested the breakdown. Now, that is straight out of a textbook. You know, if you if you read a textbook on technical chart analysis, it'll explain that, you know, when you get a breakdown like this, very often price comes back, confirms that breakdown. It confirms the importance of that support line. And then the real bad stuff begins to unfold. So what I would say is that technical chart is pointing to a very unpleasant outcome for not just Bank of America, but the banking sector more, more generally. And the risk is high. Can this save itself can the banking sector turn around can financials recover then well yes of course they can but we need to see the technical evidence to prove that and that would involve the price getting above around about 34 dollars for bank of america uh, and equivalent charts are showing the same sort of thing across uh, across the rest of the banking sector but putting these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together the 10-year yield uh, debt I haven't shown you the debt chart. I might as well do that just for uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> let's see the debt chart because I can't. <laughs> I should. This, it sounds like a jungle of a chart. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's not. It's not great. It's not pretty at all. If you just give me a moment, I'll uh, I'll try and do that for you. Um, just uh, share the screen and share that particular chart. Uh, but you put all these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together, and you start to develop a a clearer uh, a clearer picture um, of what's going on more broadly. So this is U.S. government debt, and um, probably I think most people will realize what a parabola is. And from a scientific point of view, I'll just quickly explain what a parabola is. A parabolic curve or a parabola is where the price starts uh, low. It doesn't have to be at zero. It can start anywhere. But what happens is the curve begins to get steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper so that the time taken to achieve a move upwards of, let's say, 10% gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So you're achieving the same growth in an ever-shortening period of time. So it might take you, well, as you can see on this chart here, actually, I can 
show you that if I put a measuring tool on here, you can see just how long it took to gain a move of, say, 100%. It took from there to there. It probably took about 10 years to move up 100%. But more recently, a move of 100% has taken, well, I've already gone up 50% mm. in just four years. So the, the, the accumulation of debt along this bottom portion of the graph is much, much slower than it is during this upper portion of the graph. And just visually, you can see that the graph is moving now in a, in a, a vertical fashion. Now, the debt to GDP is important because down here, the debt to GDP was only 40%. That's 60%, 100%, 130%. So GDP is getting massively outstripped by the rising debt, which feeds back into the, the whole economic equation uh, when it comes to debt sustainability. Because higher debt is fine if your GDP is rising. And we saw that in the 1970s, of course. Debt was rising um, at a, or perhaps I should say debt to GDP was not rising in the in the fashion that it is now. In fact, debt to GDP was was falling. And of course, if you cast your mind back to the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the United States had a very strong um, industrial uh, yeah. sector. Of course, a lot of that industry has been um, offshored to other countries, and 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 so you know that that whole dynamic has changed. So debt to GDP, uh, as I say, has risen by a huge amount whilst. Um, the, the debt itself has risen. So that raises questions over debt sustainability and debt repayment. And in fact, if I was to show you the chart of um, debt monthly or annual debt obligations and repayments, it's doing the, the exact same thing, um, you know, with interest rates having risen from 1% to 2% to 3% to 4% and so on. Uh, then, of course, um, you know, with rising debt, your, right. your interest payments go up as well. So... To get back to the beginning of the story, which is really, you know, right, right back to where we started, um, this, this all feeds into one big jigsaw puzzle and one big problem and one big um, end of the track, I suppose you could call it, for, um, for, the, for the US dollar as it stands at the moment. Um, it, it's running into, you know, the end game scenario. And people have been talking about this for... 10, 20, 30 years, you know, the end game. And what are the answers to, to, to resolve this? You know, you, you either grow your way out of this problem by increasing GDP really substantially, or you print your way out of this problem by adding zeros to your currency. And, you know, it, I think it's probably true to say that the most likely outcome is, you know, um, right. inflating away the debt, uh, which which brings with it a whole you know, a whole, whole load, of, load of sort of seemingly insurmountable problems, um, particularly when you're you know, holding a position of the global reserve currency. It's not like, you know, a small, you know, unimportant <laughs> country, if you want to call it, you know, small unimportant country, Zimbabwe or whatever, you know, one individual country in isolation going through a hyperinflationary crisis is, is one thing. But, it, you know, if it's a large economy, say, I don't know, Germany or one of the Eurozone countries, then that would be far more important and far more um, systemically important as far as uh, global finance is concerned. So the, the bigger the domino, the more important it is, you know, the more dangerous it is when it falls over. So the United States in the position that it's in, um, having this 
you know seemingly insurmountable problem is is going to be a destabilizing threat to uh, the entire global community um perhaps maybe i hope you know the the, the bankers and the politicians and everyone in charge of what's going on has got some sort of grand master plan to bring in a digital currency and completely sort of circumvent the issues that we're we're facing but um as it stands right now um the mathematics of it just doesn't really add up all right kevin so let's talk spend a couple quick minutes if we can talking about precious metals because obviously silver and gold fit into this jigsaw uh that uh, you've painted a pretty ugly picture of i must say uh, on the uh, with the charts previously but what are you looking at with gold and silver here because they're both in pretty interesting positions here in their their own charts respectively yeah sure well the gold chart is playing out um pretty much um in line with expectations so what i mean by that is that the large cup and handle pattern in gold um is progressing well uh, this is my gold roadmap chart. It's a 12-year cup and handle pattern. And uh, the arc that contains or contained the price for uh, the entire period from 2011 to 2021, so 10 years, completed and the arc target was reached. Anybody who follows me on social media will know that in 2019, I put out a forecast that said that gold would move back to the previous highs and then consolidate for. Uh, an unknown period of time uh, at that time. So all I was focused on in 2019 was the move back to the previous highs within the arc and then a handle on the arc. Now, once the target was hit, we were able to start drawing the handle on the arc. It's taken a lot longer than many people uh, anticipated, but because we have technical analysis on our side, uh, having hit the target and started the pullback, we've been out of uh, gold until we get the uh, until we get the breakout in terms of trading. Now, there's two very different ways of approaching precious metals. Of course, one is stacking and one is trading. If you're a precious metal stacker, then you'd be absolutely overjoyed that you've had this extended period of time to accumulate gold below two thousand dollars and to accumulate silver below twenty five dollars. But uh, I suspect that the opportunity or the window of opportunity is uh, close to closing as far as that's concerned. Uh, why do I say that? Well, because on the uh, monthly and the weekly chart, gold has broken out of its handle and is it currently in the process of backtesting that handle. Uh, the price can fall to around about 1900 to 1905 without violating that mm. breakout. So what I'm saying is that uh, I would expect price to hold on a monthly closing basis above the 1900 to 1905 level and then begin its uh, journey upwards. And there are a number of ways of estimating an initial target for the gold price. Um, and I think a reasonable one is anywhere around the mid 2000s, 2400 to maybe 2800. Uh, the round number obviously is $3,000 that I think probably quite a lot of people are going to be focused on. But we can track the distance from the three year moving average as this uh, rally develops, when the rally develops. And by tracking the distance from the three-year moving average, we can estimate when the gold price is getting overheated and due for its next pullback. Now, 2024 is, or late 2024, I should say, uh, is when I would expect um, a little bit of an issue with the markets. A lot of the charts are pointing to some kind of pause, pullback, maybe event 
later next year. And I'm, I'm aware of the US elections in uh, November of next year, and that could well play uh, play into this. So my initial expectation is for um, a an upside move into the mid 2000s, a pullback, and then um, much much higher values beyond that. Not really going to focus too much on that at the moment, but uh, as long as this 1900 level holds, that's my roadmap forecast. If 1900 doesn't hold, then the three-year moving average will be tested, and currently the three-year three moving average is sitting at 1832, 1833. So uh, we could get down to that level if the handle support does not hold. So we have to stay open-minded. We have to um, remain um, completely unbiased with this. If you're a trader, you probably wouldn't want to get in until you get a monthly close above around about the 1980 to 1990 level. Uh, and at that point, as a trader, you'd be able to trade the um, what would by then be a clear move up into the mid-2000s, perhaps a little bit higher towards the upper 2000s. Um, but stackers will, as I say, be in, enjoying this period. Um, in terms of silver... Um, just, hey, uh, Kevin, maybe instead of just for, for time's sake, let's not open up the specific silver chart, but I know you do have that... Uh, 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 silver to gold ratio. Yeah, that I think might be worthwhile. Let's just stick with that, and you know, I th- we'll come back to this because I think there's going to be a little bit of clarification here <laughs> of, where, <laughs> of where the metals are heading. Uh, uh, but you know, let's talk about that ratio here, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Yep. Okay, so the gold silver ratio, um, very important for uh, precious metals investors, of course, and. What is that chart telling us? Well, I'll show you what it's telling us. Um, it's we squeezed. have we've got uh, <laughs> we, we've declined uh, and fallen a long way from the one two six uh, uh, ratio for gold to silver. So at that point, one hundred twenty six ounces of silver to an ounce of gold, and we're all the way down to around about eighty four at the moment. And in so doing, we've created a number of technical chart patterns that we've been able to take advantage of. And we now have a very clear resistance line. We have a very clear key support line, which actually forms part of a bearish rising expanding wedge. You see the rising line there and the support line here. So this red segment that we're in at the moment is where we've been expecting the price or the ratio to bounce around as long as it likes, really, all the way up until the early part of next year. Uh, and it's going to break down uh, below the key support line at some point, I think, according to the um, sort of probabilistic analysis. So the most likely resolution of this pattern is a downside break with the gold silver ratio dropping in the context of a precious metals bull market. If this breaks to the upside, then it would suggest to me that uh, there is perhaps um, some kind of event taking place, some kind of credit event a financial crisis, a banking crisis, which would perhaps take all assets down uh, initially. And were that to happen, I would expect it to be a false uh, break to the upside and then a resolution to the downside as that um, liquidity event uh, subsides. So uh, I think to, 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 to summarize, we expect the gold-silver ratio to move down. So we expect silver to outperform gold in the context of a precious metals bull market developing over the next few months. Um, but that is only threatened by a financial event, market event, that would uh, lead to 
uh, a search for liquidity, you know, a liquid, liquidity crisis. And mm-hmm. if that were to happen, then, of course, um, everything would get thrown out of the window uh, initially. Kevin, you've given us a lot of food for thought here, uh, you know, and I think maybe it's best you and I should touch base again next month and see how some of these uh, charge, charts have have come into fruition here because I think the next couple of weeks are going to be very interesting to watch here because it's obviously very volatile two weeks and uh, there's probably some some more moves and downside ready to go at least in the market side so uh, can we can we do that maybe touch base in September and, and see how some of the stuff plays out yeah I'd be very happy to do that Trevor yeah, I mean, lots of interesting uh, technical analysis there, and I appreciate it. I'm glad we did this. Uh, Kevin, before we let you go, uh, tell us where people can follow you and find your work. Yeah, well, I'm at North Star Charts on Twitter, and uh, if you like what you see on, on uh, social media feed, uh, we've got a website, and that's uh, northstarbadcharts.com. Myself and my friend and business partner, Patrick Karim, northstarbadcharts.com, and we uh, carry out all this technical chart analysis across all the markets, particularly, uh, of course, uh, being advocates of sound money with uh, gold, silver, and cryptocurrencies. So, yeah, that's where you'll find us. All right. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Have yourself a good rest of your day. Okay. You too, Trevor. Bye for now. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.